0: You know, it must have been, if we had been on that occasion, if we had been there, I've often uh, thought about this, a little bit of fantasizing, what would it have been like to have uh, been there on the scene with, uh, hey, let's go ahead and just make a, create some real anachronisms, and have been there with your smartphone, with your camera ready, and Adam and Eve appear before your eyes. And then uh, you begin to engage them in conversation. I know I'm stretching it, but stay with me. Uh, we can know a few things. We can know this, that Adam and Eve were given wonderful and brilliant minds. I, immediately we had two summa cum laude right there in the same family. But that's not all. I mean, you can be summa cum laude and you, you'll need a lot more. You'll need wisdom. You need to know how to think right and they had clear minds because they were walking in concert with God. There were no sinful effects upon their minds at that moment in their creation, and God was not their adversary. He was a friend. There were no doubts about his goodness and his greatness. Everything was perfect. They knew that what God expected of them, they knew what to do, what not to do, and the consequences that would happen if they disobeyed. So that's what we know in scripture other things we'd like to know, but we know that much. Then Adam and Eve changed their minds. They changed their minds because sin changed their minds. Their purpose, meaning in life, allegiance, changed. It became perverted, warped. Their allegiance then switched to being an allegiance to the devil. They believed him. Eve first, Adam follows suspicion of one another oh there's a lot that you could go through that happened at that moment but like a shattered vase their internal beings were broken into pieces and they're looking at the world entirely in a wrong way now because they're looking at God in the wrong way and they have a perverted view of the will of God God became their adversary he was no longer their friend but let's fast forward in conversion to Jesus Christ, which God made immediately possible, though they didn't have all of the details that we would have, but they had enough detail God provided for them in the garden by the slaying of an animal and we read between the lines I think theologically with theological permission that God provided a substitute and for the forgiveness of sin. So it is with us when we come to Christ in repentance and faith we have an old mind that we have to deal with. This old mind is a way of thinking that's uh, corrupt, it's misleading, it's the world upside down, that's the old mind. And to make matters worse, it was some, it's been the condition of the human race since Adam and Eve began to have children. That's the history. So where are we today today? Let's consider some of the characteristics of where we are right now. I came across a friend sent me this uh, little cartoon, Calvin and Hobbes, and uh, Calvin speaks to the tiger Hobbes, and he says this in, the first, in two frames. He says, my family is dysfunctional and my parents won't empower me. Consequently, I'm not self-actualized. My behavior is addictive, functioning in a disease process of toxic codependency. I need holistic healing and wellness before I'll accept any responsibility for my actions. Encapsulating, uh, sadly, the way in which thinking is going in our day. I also came across this, uh, which was, uh, caught my attention. This was in the in the paper just a couple days ago it's not the bottom of the page in the AJC it's in the title of his joyful daily make perspective a flexible part of yourself so this is a new column we're being told here and the ideas for improving mindfulness and actively seeking joy every day this is a short article I'll just highlight a couple of things. It begins by saying what's something we would agree on. Perspective is how you see the world. Perspective develops through life experiences, and so it goes on. Well, what we're admonished by this little, apparent this is going to become a regular um, a short article in the paper, seeking and understanding diverse perspectives can be a joyful process if you're willing to bring curiosity to the dynamic. It would be quite a dull world if everyone had the same outlook or opinion. Mindfulness can help. Ah, here's that word. Mindfulness can help when you mindfully take the time to slow down, step back, and breathe. I've never understood these admonitions. I get them on my phone. It tells me to breathe. I don't know. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, you, uh, you have a far better chance of being able to truly listen to others, even when their perspective is different from your own. Through listening with an open mind and being willing to be influenced, you might even find that your perspective shifts or broadens to include others. Well, my comment on this will be the in essence, uh, the rest of this sermon in Romans twelve and verse two. And uh, here's where we're going to go i'm going to uh, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to read the verses with just a touch just a touch of a comment or two, then we're going to, we're, we're yet to dive into it, but I'm getting you up into the waiting pool right now, so let's uh, let's look at this these two verses, and then I'm going to read some verses that collaborate with this truth that's stated here. So if you're looking with me now into into this passage, now this translation is going to be a little bit different than what you have in front of you, but it's it's accurate. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, a ton of them, uh, insert here, a ton of them. That's been Romans 1 through 11, all those mercies, the mercies of God. That's the leverage. That's what is to motivate. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, let's take it from there, and will you listen now? If you have a hearing aid, be sure it's tuned in in the right way right at this moment, but listen to these passages and notice how they collaborate what I'm trying to get across, and let me say this before I begin to read them, that what truth is stated in Romans 12, 1 and 2 is big. It is the, it's a composite of what we're called to in what theologians call sanctification, how God works to change the lives of believers over time, where God has said, be, I am holy, be ye holy. All right, these two verses just bundle it all up right here before us. And what I intend to hope the impression these other texts will give, the statements they make, it shows you that this is, you find this whether it's in the epistles of Paul, the epistles of John, the epistles of Peter, anywhere else, particularly in the New Testament. Well, here we go though. We'll start with what Jesus said, Mark 12 in verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength all your mind. Get that, please. Romans 8 in verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. More mind work there. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, think on these things. That's mind work when you think. Ephesians 4 17 and 18. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This is not saying here that you've got to be a Jew in order to appreciate this. He's using Gentiles here as a stand-up for all of the non-converted world. But he's saying, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart, futility of their minds. That is, the mind doesn't work right. It's not saying that they... Have lower IQs than Christians do. Well, that's we wouldn't argue that my IQ didn't shoot up in geometry class when I was converted. I can I can guarantee you that. But solid food is for the mature and for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And using the terminology here in Hebrews that the powers of discernment, the way the mind works, the way it's able to sort out issues, truth, connect truth. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh, and while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh, but behaving only in a human way. The thinking had gone wrong, and let me add a little something that came out of my scripture reading this morning before I forget it. God gives and so graciously gave me something I would love to begin the day reading scripture and and I 'm reading. I'm reading old and new. Okay, that said, I'm in Matthew, and I'm in that account where uh, Peter just gives out, this is 16 of Matthew, He's, it's this, this incredible breakthrough, epiphany of, in, a, on a moment of, in a moment of truth, that who are, who, Jesus asked him, who do, who do people say I am? They say, well, you're one of the prophets. Some say you're Jeremiah, you're John the Baptist. And then Peter, whoa, he comes out and says, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Right, got that right. Well, you know, when you continue to read it, now here's, Peter's a believer, and uh, he says that he's got it right on that point. And then he goes further along, and Jesus begins to talk to them about his going to Jerusalem, and he's going to suffer and die. And Peter says, oh, well, have none of that. I <laughs> we'll be killed. Peter was not a guy to be thinking of himself as a victim, and he certainly didn't want Jesus to be seeing himself as a victim. He had it all wrong. And then this man who had just made this glorious confession that Jesus is the Messiah, he then, Jesus tells him, he says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) What? His thinking was all upside down. I have to do this. Peter wasn't connecting the theological dots, but he gets onto him. He rebukes him Severely, because look, in that same, within a brief, short period of time, here's this believer who's got a great thought, a breakthrough, and then the next thing we know, he's in cahoots with Satan because he's advancing something that's not true. He's thinking wrongly. I, I didn't have that planned other than my reading this morning, but here it shows this, this, this much that you can be a believer, you can have a tremendous grasp on truths. But, you know, there may be some things that, well, let's just indict all ourselves. We're not thinking right about some things. And I don't doubt that every one of us here this morning, we're not thinking right about something. How much? I don't know. Let's go in the passage and see what we can uncover and what comes out in this. But we have to remember this. And I still want us to understand the kind of uh, the, the waters in which we swim, the air we breathe. The uh, uh, cultural atmosphere that's before us. I, I, I want to give credit to whom credit's due. I have read a really a good article by Carl Truman. That name is familiar to some of you. And uh, the, the Twisted Mind, he had an article in World Magazine. And he's got a book that uh, really carries this in much more depth But he had some things that I thought really helped to get us centered on how we ought to handle or how we should be thinking, background thinking, to this passage. And by calling attention to the way people are today and how books and movies, characters, these, they find themselves, find themselves, no matter whether it's, whatever, a movie or whatever, disoriented, confused anxious? Definitions of marriage or the meaning of the word woman? Are we not in trouble, folks? For those who are younger who think that perhaps this is something you haven't learned yet, that you maybe have made a mistake, no, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. We are in a terrible, terrible state of mind when it comes to reality. So here's our purpose today, and this is a Uh, Carl Truman does a good job in his writings in coming down to... See, when I preached uh, in Romans years ago, I would not have said what I'm about to say because the analysis or the the diagnosis was a little different than it is now. And guess what? It's worse. (laughs) It is worse. So here, the purpose now, if you want to know the culture and how the general, the mindset of the culture is... Generally, taining personal psychological happiness, a sense of inner well-being, looking for personal peace and contentment. That's what's happening. That's what's going on. So we have transgenderism with uh, just pushed upon us like you are. You know what? You're a bigot. If <laughs> you're not in line with this issue of, tra-. and we even have the present, the present administration advancing it, pushing this sort of thing. And this is a requirement of the new cultural orthodoxy. You're not with it if you're not with the drag queen hour at the local library. So here we go. So what is the mind of the world? It's thoroughly human-centered that we're going to save the planet. What a, <laughs> What an intoxicated view of oneself it has banished God in his word from our view of reality it 's replaced god 's truth, his moral law, with its own understanding of truth happening happening left and right, across the board. Truth is relative and look ins- if you want to know where truth is, look inside that 's where you 'll find it. Get the perspective you know talk to other people, pick up what you can. Bring it inside to yourself, and you'll create it. And that's enough of that. Now, let's look at this. What I want to present to you is a couple of statements, and then I'm going to walk you through what I see are, I, I've, as I've squeezed it. There are these six. Now, in your notes, you have five listed there, but one was left out, and I'll tell you where that is. So if you're paying attention, get this background again. That What is being said up to this point? And this is so hugely important here, that what the apostle is dealing with, he's not starting with our conduct. He is starting with our mind and understanding, not focusing our attention on a particular sin, though that's of great consequence and important. But that's not where he wants us to begin. What he's doing in this place, what we're about to see, be be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he begins with a transformation within, how you think, transformation of character. That's the whole secret of sanctification. It's lamentable that some Christians have just gotten way off the track trying to find the secret to sanctification, some kind of an experience that you have to have, uh, some breakthrough. Well, I don't doubt that there's a time and place for breakthroughs as you understand the Word of God, but So we might realize that uh, we just don't, we don't want to be in the habit of thinking we're pursuing a God-ordained pursuit of holiness if all we're doing is just trying to knock off the tops of the weeds. And if we're just trying to knock off um, evil sins in my own life. So we've got to get our outlook right. Ephesians. I think I did I read this I meant to read it if I didn't I think I did we're told in Ephesians 4 and 17 to 24 I'll summarize it to we are to be renewed in the spirit of he's Paul says of your mind and you know what he drafts on in that statement immediately and you'll recognize this he immediately after having said getting this renewal of the spirit of your mind he says stop lying then he goes after the specific sin but get your mind right Go after the issue of character first. And I've, I heard it put this way. It's not original with me. What some of these things I came across the source that really helped me at this point to get a, another angle on things. That the Christian life is, was likened. I could understand this. I didn't do hurdles in high school. I had a brother who did, but uh, certainly not the high hurdles. But you know, you just don't stand in front of a hurdle and then just jump over the hurdle. What do you do? Well the race as it is and the same is true in the pole vault is that you get back you get in a starting position in the case of the hurdles you're down ready and you blow out of the box and the more best times and the most, I think it's probably the most beautiful race in the in track and field is the highs and just watch them. Step, step 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 jump step 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 jump step 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 jump What's propelling? What's making that happen? Because there has been propulsion. There is top speed, all that one is capable of. Then you go over the hurdles. Well, the point being with that is that what we do is that when we come to a sin in our lives, let's make it quite personal, some sin you're dealing with, something that you fought, a particular issue, and you think, well, I just need to jump over it. No, you've got to have momentum. Momentum is, in a sense, kind of turning your back on the hurdle, going down to the starting line, and then go. And the starting line is all that what God has told us about who we are in Jesus Christ, all the mercies that God has provided for us, and then with this bigger picture, and that God wants to transform us from within to without, then we go down the lane and take care of those sins that are before us, but don't just start with a sin. So perhaps enough to be said there, but one further reminder, a theological point of, of great importance here, is that for any of this to take place, when he said, Paul is going to be saying here, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is something that has happened within us that is supernatural that we didn't make, we didn't create it ourselves, and that is regeneration we're born again. And the Spirit of God comes in power into our lives and gives us new desires, a new outlook. We would not have perhaps been able to um, articulate all that was going on at that moment. We didn't necessarily feel it, but I can tell you this, when you are born again and regenerated, there is something astounding that has taken place, a miracle within that enables us to go forward. And what you have, if I may shift my metaphors here, is that now you have millions of pounds of thrust. I was watching this recent rocket going off from down in Florida and talked about the millions of thrust that it takes to put it out into orbit. Think of this in the Christian life. We have this thrust, this power, then the Spirit of God to thrust us forward and move us along to bring us into holiness and likeness. So this is so different than what often tries to parade itself as Christianity, namely some kind of legalism or just knocking off this bad habit, knocking off this sin. We're talking about the transformation of the total life. All right, now let's look at these, what I said, call your attention to these six statements of truth. The very first one is that to be transformed, and I'm fascinated by this word. I'm not going to take the time to do a little word study on it, but uh, I have in the past, but it is worth noting for sure. When he says, but, it's a very emphatic word, by the way, there in the Greek language, a little conjunction, but, be transformed, metamorpho. Okay, you picked up on that, can't you? Metamorphosis, which is what essentially, I'm told, read about 87% of the insect world, they have some form of this metamorphosis. We often think of the tadpole, and you know, and, and how it grows, comes along, or that little old uh, caterpillar just struggling to get across the street, oh, oh, little guy, I hope you make it, (laughs) you know, just trying, but oh, that little caterpillar is going to go through a process, going to find the right place on a limb, a leaf somewhere, a twig, and it's going to come out and going to be transformed into a beautiful butterfly. This is the the metamorphosis of which he's speaking here, is being transformed from the old way to the new way be, and it's a, it's a present imperative. So he is emphasizing the fact that, listen, this is the way that you will be living now. Understand that. And I, I know this is a little grammatically heavy here, but it's important, and I'll show you later. It's a passive voice. You know, we have active and passive. Passive, something is done. Something happens from the outside that makes this, the inside, possible. All right, rest that. Now, let's go back to the statement be being transformed to be changed from the inside out. It's the, it's the transformation, the formation of the likeness of Jesus Christ from within us. That's why it could be summarized to say to the Christian at this point, be what you are. That's where we should be going. Be what you are. This is not just about fighting a specific sin, as important as that is, but this be what you are. Conformity to this age embraces thinking patterns that are alien to the renewal of the mind. So there's all this, as I've told couples in marriage, premarital counseling, when you get married, you're going to find out you've got a lot of old furniture that's got to be put out on the street. (laughs) Old furniture, ways of thinking, and habits, and so forth. So there is to be this fundamental transformation of character and conduct. And what happens then, it's it's a miraculous work that takes place. And what will happen is that this prior thinking and the way the world thinks, this indifference and hostility to God, is now we're committed follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, we stumble along the way. We, yeah, we're trying to put things together. But you see, it's different. It's different. It's different. And so what we are encountering immediately in this, in this uh, uh, imperative to be transformed is that we have two contrary value systems that we're con- we have to look at. That's this world and God's will. That's the contrast. And they're incompatible. They're in a direct collision with one another. And all of life's issues are at stake. How to measure greatness, how to measure success, how to measure failure, how to think about pain, how to deal with suffering, how to think about money, how to think about relationships. That is what is at stake here in this transformation. So we need to train our minds. Train our minds so that we begin to think God's thoughts after him. Now, what actually has to happen at this moment? Let me just linger here just a few seconds longer. What has to happen? First of all, I'm an unsaved person. Let's think of being a non-Christian. When I was converted at 14, I, could, I can do this, but not everybody remembers the moment of their conversion. The point is this is that something has to happen. Before conversion, I have an unresurrected mind. And there's got to be some change. There is the turn from the the gods that I've worshipped, and turn in faith, and put my trust in Jesus Christ. And then, as a new Christian, as a new Christian, I pray. I would be kind of instinctive. I pray. Like, Psalm 119 and verse 36, incline my heart to thy testimonies. I would do that. I think you probably have in some form or fashion if you're a believer, Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. Or Psalm 141:4. 4, do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness. And then as you pray and you ask God, God, I need help. Oh, I need a lot of help then we have to make our, up our mind to do the things that we begin to become convicted of. And if we become you know, like Daniel in that seminal moment when Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with a king's choice food. Now, in that context, in that time, <clears throat> and with his background as a, as a Jew, what he was doing was simply planting his feet firmly on scripture and said, I can't do that, I must do this, this is what pleases, this is what pleases God. So this is the mind then gets set on the things of the spirit. Number two, let's walk through it. This transformation is to be a progressive experience. If you could think of a continuum, over on one side you would have sinful society and then just draw a straight line over to hear the Word of God. Well, what happens is that we're all somewhere on this continuum. How far along are you? But we're still discovering ways, and we get, and in the process, we get re-influenced by other things that come along as the culture winds shift, so we can get caught up and we can be moved along by those cultural winds. So never think that you're home free until you really are home free and not dealing with sin itself and you're in the presence of Christ. Oh, for that glad moment. But we're not there yet. So all of us who are believers, we're somewhere on this continuum. Sinful society, word of God. And so we've got all this stuff that we've got to deal with. One commentator put it this way. He says, the ruts of the old life are not easy to get out of. (laughs) the ruts of the old life. I'll give you a few examples. I'm not going to linger on them, but uh, just for example, if I, don't, if I don't get you on any of these, uh, I apologize. All right. <laughs> Here, listen to these. Um, thinking, thinking that's got to be completely rethought. Um, well, whatever her father was like, she wants to be totally unlike that. Really? Is that is that good? Is that biblical thinking? Or a man thinks that his wife uh, is there to serve him. Why some men think that way? You think that way? You, when you got married, you think that way? We Men, most men in some way or another were thinking that way. But you see, well, there's a lot of work to be done. We're in the hard hat zone here, folks. <laughs> and a teen who goes to school thinking solely about the attention she will receive a believer. Got it? You you think there may be work to be done there? Or the gospel of society, the goal of society—excuse me—must be equity. Do you hear that? I hear that all the time. I can't have the radio on. I need anything to read. I don't. I see it coming across. Or being in a certain group, whether an ethnic group, a minority, any group, that that gives you in and of itself access to truth since we create truth by discovering our own identity. Or an athlete who is thinking only of his or her own glory. You think there may need to be some transformation and change there? Or a woman who thinks that her security will come from a man. Uh, ladies, have you thought that way somewhere along the line? And then you got, you got some uh, an awakening, a rude awakening. I'm just throwing these out to tell you that these are the kinds of things that, uh, if you want to go to more, another cultural expression today we bump up against, is that evil is birthed by external systems of oppression. That's where evil comes from. So we get rid of these systems, these systems of evil. Ah, we'll be good. Okay, let's let's move let's move along. I think another truth comes up out of this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is this transformation is something done within us by the Holy Spirit? Here's that passive voice. We're not left on our own. Yeah, we're told to walk, but you know you got to be a you got to be a wee walker first. In the faith, we do become wee walkers, and we uh, we stumble, we fall, we s- skin our knees, elbows, forehead, whatever. But listen. It's the Spirit of God enables us, listen, you can go to the shower, and when you need to clean up, you use soap and you use water. We need something from the outside to take care of our cleansing. That's the point here. That's the passive. We need some help. We have the help. I've spoken to it already on the work of the Holy Spirit. So we get our minds set on Christ. So the Holy Spirit does his sanctifying work on us. It's a work that we don't necessarily feel Now I'm not divorcing feelings from this process. This is not a Dr. Spock, Star Trek Spock. This is not that kind of person that we become where we have no feelings. We could deal with that uh, some other place in time. But we have the Holy Spirit who's the sanctifying, transforming agent. He brings our thoughts in line with his own so that we will think God's thoughts after him. That's kind of a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. And so here, we're no longer under the law. It doesn't mean that we're not under law, but we don't live and achieve, cr- cr- jump those hurdles, deal with sin, have character transformation by just keeping the law. The law stirs up the dust. The law shows us how much need we have for God's Holy Spirit and the power within that we need. So just keeping rules, and believe me, you know this, how legalism has really done a number on a lot of Christians in the Christian culture. It seems to so easily take over, but we, know, we must not think, and I'll say it again, I said it a little earlier, that the Christian life is, is not just to knock off sins one by one, not at all. It's rather a whole mindset project is what it is, a new outlook. So it's not like, remember you used to go, some of us remember the Southeastern Fair, and you go to these little these little uh, challenges that give you, hey, hey, come here, you can do it. And you got these ducks or whatever that going across, going across. Hey, hey, I'm a good shot. I got 2015 vision. Uh, I'm a hunter. And so they want you to bing, bing, bing. Well, A ridicule here is, well, that game deserves some, but uh, is that the Christian life is not just standing in a spot and just bing, 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 shooting down things, problems. No what if I said earlier? Really, I think this is the point of the passage. It's transformation of character. It's the big picture. Be who you are in Jesus Christ. That's where we want to go with this. So here it is. Salvation is neither small or negative. It's always positive. It's always big. That's the big picture. I hope this passage will move us in seeing that direction. All right, let's go to the next statement of truth that i offer to you here, which I think is in this passage. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. This transformation is an obligation that must be realized by choices we make. Oh, we've got decisions, don't we? And we need to take charge of our minds. Paul says in Romans 6 and 19, present your members as slaves to righteousness. What we do is we're talking self-control. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's primarily mind control. What we sow in our minds, we will reap in our actions. So here, what am I feeding my mind? What am I putting my mind upon? I read somewhere that if over time, if most of your intake of influence from the outside for thinking and amusing over and so forth is the music and the literature and the, the, the training, the thoughts of this world, if that's what's mostly informing you, you'd be in trouble. In trouble. And we have to fight it constantly. And so here we are. Present your members. He says this transformation. And let me just pause, and this is not incidental. I don't want to imply that. But we have a, a phone ringing, and we have a, uh, okay... Uh, okay, I hope it's not an emergency. All right, that we have what the we is to be understood is illumination. The illumination. Get this word. Listen to me carefully here on this. One. Here's what the Spirit of God does when we come to the Scriptures, and so we, so that we can handle them correctly. Hopefully, it's happening right now as as we look in this passage. That the Bible is what the reformers call is perspicuous. This was a big word among the reformers. Clarity, perspicuous, means to see through. The Bible is clear. So if you're stumbling over the fact, you say, well, you know, I really want to go along and deal with life, God's way, and so forth, but, oh, the Bible is just so, it's confusing to me, and I just, I don't, hey, hold, hey time out. The problem is not with The Bible. Granted, there are difficult passages, and you have to drill a little bit more deeply. You have to work a little bit more. But there is, God has given to us the word, and it's clear. It's not written in code. There's no secret code that you have. Occasionally we hear people say, Ah, let me tell you about Numbers, the number, not the book of Numbers, but Numbers. And if you could just understand this little secret, that little secret. It's taking God's word, and here's a little short course in hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. It's this literal, historical, grammatical approach. You take this at face value, what these words are saying, and you want to know how they fit together. And you're serious about this. That's what's going on. And the Spirit of God takes it then and helps us to realize the understanding and the application of it. All right, now back to this <clears throat> and I want to take now the fifth statement. And this is the one that I left out. So if you're still, if you're with me, if you haven't thought about your roast beef for lunch, think, get back here on this point. Because this deals with the latter part of the verse. That this transformation is to di- display itself with these three adjectives Be, being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Now, that word proves an important little word verb. This word prove means to test and thereby approve the will of God. Now hold on, don't jump to conclusions, false conclusions, and I'll tell you what one of them could be. That what we're to do is to be able to distinguish what it is that pleases and displeases God. That's like the difference, learning the difference between fool's goal and real goal. And when you take real goal into the assayer, It will be proven to be real. Go. That's the word here. Proven to be the real thing. You have that? All right. So be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, this constant work on bringing into your thought processes God's word, what he's saying, what he's teaching, so forth, promises, commands, and so on, that then you will prove, you will demonstrate the reality of, the fact of what is good in the perfect will of God. I have to be brief on these, but they're important, that what he's saying is then, what happens is that, first of all, we will find out when we have thought God's thoughts and we do things his way, that's good. How so? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And we find that God's laws are not against us. He's for us. He's for us. And you know, this was part of the old mindset before we were Christians. I had that battle. I remember it. Oh, what a, how stupid I was. I thought, I can't be a Christian. Be a Christian. That means God's going to ask me to do things, go places, and just be something I don't want to be. And that's exactly what my problem was. Unbelief in all its ugliness. We have versions of it, all of us. But he's good. He's good. His will is good when we do it, when we obey him and it's acceptable. I used to think, and I know some take it this way, acceptable to God. No, I think it's acceptable to us, that it it pleases us. It's the right thing. Yes, this is the way it should be. God's not a hindrance. His word's not a stumbling block. You do things God's way, and things are going to be pleasing, acceptable to us, and perfect perfect, sufficient, sufficient for life and godliness. This is what we were meant for, these three. Now, I said there's one caveat that I need to put here, because sometimes Christians have taken this will of God, and this is really a ten, been a tendency to kind of get a lot of Christians way off track. They think that they've got to find that the will of God means that, well, I'll find out what person I'm supposed to marry, or what house I'm supposed to live in, or what car I'm supposed to buy, what school I'm supposed to attend, and they just get all uptight. Got to find the will of God, got to find the will of God, got to find the will of God. Hold on. Finding the will of God is looking in scriptures and seeing what God says to do, what it means to obey him, and doing that. Therein, the will of God is proved, and you will find it, and I'm not discounting that those kinds of things are important. Uh-uh. They aren't that that they are important, that finding the right spouse, finding the right school, finding the right job, what to do with retirement, how to spend my money, those are important things. But what he's speaking of here is that, look, when you bring God's truth into those issues, into those things, and you do things God's way into your marriage, you will find that it is good this is what God's got. He's got your best interest at heart, and it's good for you. It's beneficial, and it's acceptable. You'll find it that it's going to give you a better way to live. It will. It will. Not saying there will not be pain and suffering, and then that it's perfect. It's satisfying. It's going to do that which God intends to do in our lives. Now, with that... Uh, which wasn't in your notes. I apologize for that, but let's come to this conclusion. Conclusion: This transformation is by means of resources that God has provided for us. He says, by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do we do that? How do I get my mind renewed? I uh, keep verses that come in and collaborate with this. I've read some already, but have put on the new self who is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, Colossians 3.10. So you know what really is happening? Think of it this way. What's happening in this pursuit of God's holiness and to know him and to have Christ's likeness formed in us is this is really the opposite of the way the book of Romans began, chapter one, though we didn't. It's been a while since we've been there. If you look in Romans one, you'll just see the spiral downward in Romans one it gets worse and worse. The the mindset against God goes to death. It kills individuals. It kills societies. It's societal suicide. That's where we're indulging now. But when you come to Christ, it's coming up out of that in the opposite direction. That's where the gospel, that's the good news that's in Jesus Christ. is. So the old mind, the futility, that spiraling downward is reversed, and we spiral upward toward knowing God and knowing him. In a personal way. Now, there's a lot to be said at this point, and I've given you some statements there that I hope will be helpful to you. Let me just take a couple because I do have something that I want to make a recommendation to you with regard to. So that here's where we were we were under the wrath of God. Now, because of the mercies of God, we have that incentive, that movement to take us forward to know what God's will is for in specific situations so what are these resources well we need of course great amounts of amounts of biblical truth am I talking to the choir here (laughs) that we need a lot of biblical truth and I read the bible I have to be brief here just read the bible are you doing that uh be sure I, I I say read it through one way or another read it through I think there's no substitute for starting there. And because the word of God, what does it do? It judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. So we need that exposure And, and study it. Just a little brief plug here you know, I was bringing this to Beth's attention. I hope I was not. Sometimes I look like I'm telling her, oh, I am telling her things. She already knows better than I do in some cases. I said, you know, study Bibles can really be helpful to you if you use them in the right way. You look in a good study Bible, and look at all the resources. There have been generations of Christians who would have loved to have had those resources. <laughs> They'll look in the back of it sometime and, and just see in, in a good one. I can recommend some on another place in time, but So here we are, to love the Lord our God with all our mind, to discipline discipline ourselves to meditate on Scripture. Um, By that I mean, when you work with a verse, uh, it may be, I'm not saying this is the gold standard, it just so happened, when I came across that passage with regard to Peter and Jesus and his mind and how it was right and then it was wrong, and then, you know, you may want to take a passage that you come across. You take some notes. Maybe it's in the epistles. You want to do a little grammatical work. Find out what the subject is, find out what the verb is. I don't know. Whatever you have to do, break it down, get it. Memorize the verse. Oh, memorize the verse. And then you just, you've got a suitcase right there. It's right between your shoulders. And you can just take it with you through the day. You're sitting at that red light and you're trying to read those bumper stickers in the car in front of you, what they're saying. Uh, you know, it could be a moment of meditation any place, any time, where you take truth and you know the meaning of a text, that's important, you've got a, at least a handle on it, and you run it through your mind and you pray for the Lord to give you some impact. What is this? How, Lord, where should I go with this? That, that's in a short version of meditation. And so that is some of what we could do. And I'm going to come back. Well, I've got an issue or two I would have dealt with, but I want to hustle to this very final thing that I said I wanted to do. I want to just recommend something to you. I want this. This is a takeout. I want you, could you, I recommend that you do this. Write down, make note of some routine, however mundane it is that you do regularly. I'm not talking about grand things like will I go to the mission field. That's a wonderful thought, but I'm saying what I do. Uh, for example, um, what I, how do I think about my automobile? How do I think about the dishes? How do I think about a meal? Uh, I mean the details, the cost, the debt, the use of time. If you're thinking about your car, what I'm trying to get across here is that we need to train our minds to bring truth to every item in life. Just begin to do that. You think, well, this is, that's silly. Oh, no, 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 it isn't. Begin to get your mind trained to think about whatever's happening, whether it's the glasses that I wear, the store that I walk into, the people that I see, the conversations that I have, the products that are on the shelves. I want to have enough of a theologically oriented mind that I can begin to think about these things. For example, like preparing a meal. Think, that's a routine. Certainly it is at our house. Sometimes we say, another meal? (laughs) Yeah, three of them (laughs) every day. Uh, Well, thank God for the varieties of food or taste. Thank you, Lord, that I still got some taste left. (laughs) or if you're young and you've got all those thousands of taste buds just firing on all cylinders, thank you, Lord, I can seek out some of these tastes. Will there be food in the kingdom? Will we eat when the kingdom comes on earth? Think about that. Will we have hamburgers in the kingdom? All right, I don't want to trivialize this, but hey, I'm just trying to get our minds working with these things. Think about the manna for Israel. Oh, now there's a good thought. Think about it. Getting up every morning, you go out, and you, you had your food source for the day. Your post-toasties just dropped right down out of the sky, and you ate them, and what a way to, what a provision. Um, the grace of God in what truly nourishes us. Or you could thank God if you do, sometimes you read an article in the paper and you say, you know, if you eat these things, you're going to die. And you've been living 60, 70 years and you've eaten it and you're not dead. Well, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that you take care of this body. And I'm not dependent on everybody, people telling me, you know, everything that's wrong about what I do, but thank you that you've kept me alive. Maybe I have been eating the wrong things. I'm just trying to get us to think theologically about things that we do. And, uh, and, and maybe, you know, thinking why things that I shouldn't eat. Why shouldn't I eat them? I have a good biblical reason for them. I don't know. Uh, it's because of taste, or maybe it's not good for me. So here's what, we, what I'm saying is, how do we then think about ourselves? Let's land and finish there. How do we think about ourselves? And guess what? Two weeks from, this, two weeks from today, we're going to dive right into it, because in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 and following, is you'll see where we get our minds transformed. And I'll give you a preview. In that passage, is you think, think about substitute selfishness for serving and selfless service of others. How has God equipped me, and how does he want me to serve other people? Let's think of it that way. So we're going to go there. How do we think about ourselves? So let's pray, and let's ask God to give us the grace that we need for all this. Lord, oh, there's so much here. Sometimes we just feel overwhelmed. We feel like we're surfing on a wave, and it's bigger than we thought, and we go under. <laughs> we, oh, Lord, if any of us have gone under today thinking about something that needs to be changed in our lives, and we just have fought it, maybe, Lord, we need to think about getting back and get a good running start and seeing what you've provided for us and who you are. Give us the thrust, thrusting power of the Holy Spirit. For that one here today, Lord, perhaps it's an addiction, some habit that's just just ruining life, costing money. Oh, God, show your power and the sweetness of doing things your way to find out that your will, is, it's good, it's acceptable, and it's so satisfying and perfect. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ eternal life in him. Oh, if there's one here today who's never put his or her trust in Christ, oh, they'll hurry to that, hurry to that, and cry out for your forgiveness and receive the gift of new life in Christ. Thank you for this, your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.